Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. We were having this conversation a little bit yesterday at the top of the show, talking about the John Brown energy that we expect from people that consider themselves allies or in our case, we need accomplices, people who are going to fight for the rights and justice of all people because it's the right thing to do. Well, we don't see that quite frequently. People put out books and that's nice, but you know, how many people really put their lives on the line? Well, this woman did. Um, she, she left her couch after watching the horrors of bloody Sunday and said, I have to do something. And the something was head down South and get involved in the civil rights movement. And it cost her her life. Joining us right now is her son. He is, um, of course, a lecturer, and he's out there still fighting for the thing that that took his mother, took his mother's life. Let me welcome to the show Anthony Liuzzo. Welcome, the son of Viola Liuzzo. Hi. Hi, doctor. How are you? I am not a doctor, but I am well. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let me let me change this. Just call me Karen, please. Okay, I sure will. Um. I've been talking about your mom for a while since I discovered her. Uh, she wasn't taught in my school. Um, I didn't learn about her, I think, until I was in my 30s uh, because she wasn't uh, featured prominently on many of the documentaries that I watched. And um, and I wondered why, you know. And then watching her, her documentary, um, Home of the Brave, I was like, this woman, your family went through a lot after she was killed to, you know, she was defamed and, you know, excoriated. How did you navigate that as a little boy watching them do that? Not just take your mother's life, but then her reputation. Well, yeah, I believe it solidified my beliefs and what we had to do. It solidified knowing that she, what she did was right. Um, You know, the bombs hit the target. She was in the target. So they're going to attack her. Um, she was the only white woman killed during the civil rights movement. I'm sorry to say that it, it seemed to take a, it, her death to shock the nation enough to finally get LBJ to declare war on the Klan and push to get the Voting Rights Act of 65 passed. I, Hoover, Jagger Hoover made sure that she was not honored as a martyr. He slandered her. He slandered our family. They, you know, uh, we had crosses burned in our yard. We had bullets shot through our windows. My little sister was coming home from school and, and uh, the neighbors in the neighborhood, adults, mind you, were throwing stones and rocks and calling her an end lover. And her mother was a whore and, and just horrible things. She was six years old. Um, I fought for my mother's honor constantly because people would say the same thing to me. But I was a, I was a boy, so I did it my way. It was probably the wrong way, but but I, I fought to defend her honor. And uh, when I became of age, I started fighting for everybody's rights, for African-Americans' rights, for any the underdogs, because that's the way she lived and that's the way she taught us, Karen, that, that uh, she was forever rubber, rubber skin on her arm and say nothing comes off. Mm. And it doesn't come off on anybody. We're all the same. You know, we just have different pigments. And... Um, she joined the NAACP in 1947 in Detroit. So she, uh, she knew what she was going down into, but she was fearless. If I remember in 1963, Dr. King 
had put out a thing saying, you know, turn your lights on in support of the march. So she did, and she got upset because people were flashing her lights for her to turn her lights off. So she got white shoe polish and wrote on her car, my lights are on in, in honor of Dr. King and the march in, in, in Washington. And uh, I mean, that's just the way she was. She was nonstop as far as helping any who needed it. I did a, a little bit of research, you know, um, born into poverty, um, one room shack, no running water. The school she went to had inadequate supplies and the teachers were too busy to give ef- extra attention to children in need. She she was raised in a situation that many black folk at that time were raised into. So perhaps she understood what it, that it wasn't color, that it wasn't race, that it was poverty, that it was uh, lack of opportunities because she lived through it and went through some horrific things uh, coming through uh, her childhood. Five children she left to go down to help people register to vote, to drive people to get registered. Five children. It was five of you. Where, where did you fall in the birth order, Anthony? I was uh, fourth, second from the youngest. Um, there's my oldest sister, Penny, my older sister, Mary my older brother, Tommy, and I have a younger sister, Sally. And um, there were 18, 17, 13, 10. I was 10 and my sister was six. My little sister was six. What did she tell you before she left? Well, she called and uh, talked to my dad the night she left. She didn't talk to the kids, but we, we knew her. I mean, that was no shock for us to see her go and do something like that. So she called us every night, told us how, you know, what she was doing and how excited she was to be down there and helping and, and, uh, and always told us we, she loved us. And in fact, the night she was murdered, she called us an hour before she was, was assassinated. Yes. Yeah, she, uh, she was on her way home. That's what yeah. she said. She said, yeah, you know, she was going to be leaving in the morning heading home she was all excited what a wonderful time she said it was it was you know magnificent and uh and then of course the she never made it um she was assassinated out in bloody Lowndes county alabama uh and uh they it was horrible i mean they my life changed forever I, uh, I remember just being in a dream. I thought I was nauseous constantly. Uh, none, we didn't get any help afterwards either. I mean, you know, there was no, there was no support groups. There was nothing like that. Um, you know, we, we were attacked. We had people trying to break in our doors to get to the family, to do bodily harm to us. Uh, because your mother we, got murdered. They wanted to hurt you too. Because she was down there helping the black people and they didn't i mean detroit was a very racist town in the 60s you know people think oh it was up north and it was no it was very racist and and uh, we took the brunt of a lot of it i mean they drive by throw bags of garbage dumped out on our lawn just anything they could do to defame our our family and disgrace my mother they sent us the pictures of her death pictures and, you know, they had to get that from the from the Alabama Highway Patrol or the FBI or both. Um, you know, I, I'll tell you something. In, in 1965, 
Michael J. Shaheen, who was the head of Justice Department, Department of Professional Responsibility, told myself and our attorney, Dean Robb, in 1982, that in 1965, there was 10,000 known registered Klansmen that they had registered. Out of those 10,000, over 3,000 were FBI paid informants. And they were in high positions. And he said there was only one person that could change any Klan meeting with a phone call, and that was J. Edgar Hoover. Wow. So wow. what it is, I mean, that's frightening. That yeah, what, and what does that mean when the government is involved in not just denying people's rights, but taking their lives for what? <laughs> I, so, I don't have, I don't have that answer. Uh, all I know, it disgusts me. And, and the more I learned, the more disgusting I got, but, but, you know, we have to keep fighting. We can't stop and go, oh, no, it, it, you know, no, we've got to stay the course. We've got to make this. We cannot go back into a fascist state like we had in the 60s. We we're have here. to fight. We're, 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 we're here. It's beyond the 60s. It's the 30s. I, I just I had an epiphany today. We're back to the 1930s, not the 1950s, in terms of how systematic it's happening state by state by state's rights is coming back. The civil war fight over states' rights is back. Eight six six eight zero one eight two five five. We're talking talking to Anthony Liuzzo, uh the son of Viola Liuzzo, uh, who lost her life in Selma, Alabama, helping people register to vote. Um, nineteen sixty five, I believe. It was February February night March of nineteen sixty five. March twenty fifth. March twenty fifth. Yeah. What were any of your siblings angry with your mother for leaving? No. Um, we weren't. We were horribly crushed with what happened, but we weren't angry with her. Um, we were angry with the people that, you know, we thought we thought the uh, they did a fantastic job in catching the four Klansmen so fast. You know, come to find out the reason they did it because an FBI uh, informant, informant right. was in the car and he right. probably was the one that actually pulled the trigger on her. I mean, he failed three lie detector tests. The other guy passed it past all three of them. So um, we firmly believe that we did get him indicted down in Alabama in, in 1980, 1978, they indicted him for mur her murder and the federal government again stepped in and said, no, no, we gave him immunity. You can't try him. So, uh, so I, I believe that he was the one, but she, you know, we weren't mad. We weren't, I missed her horribly. There was a horrible pain in my heart. Um, my mother was amazing. She took, she would take us out Tell rock us. hunting and just doing whatever, take us to, to, to do things and, and have fun with us. And, and, uh, she would bring people home from in Detroit, Wayne state. She was going to Wayne state at the time. There's a, a street called Cass road, Cass corridor. They call it. That's where the, uh, a lot of, uh, addicts and alcoholics and homeless. And she would get people from that area and she'd, bring them home, try to get them into rehab, get them clothed, get them food. Uh, inevitably, honestly, they would steal something from the house and be gone. But she said it didn't matter. And she taught us that, that it didn't matter. If she could save or help one of them, it would be worth it. She said all those material things can be replaced, but those people cannot. You said you lived in a neighborhood where um... – people would throw rocks at a, at a child. Um, so I, I question this, right? Cause we live in a country right now where folk 
who identify as white, so-called white folk, which is a made-up construct, doesn't really exist, except in our minds, it's a power construct, self-segregate, don't have relationships. Your mother had deep relationships. You see it in the, in the documentary, you know, uh, your sister is in the bosom of a woman that was there, and, you know, y'all, y'all are, you know, inextricably connected and tied to black folk, um, what do you think it is? Because that hasn't changed, you know, from, from the thirties to the sixties to now folks still do, do not, uh, mingle. And we had a whole humorist talk about, you know, white folk should just leave black people alone as if we, we can not exist in this place. What, what, where are we right now in your, in your estimation? I think we're going further and further down that rabbit hole. Um, it's sad to me because I don't understand it. I mean, Sarah Evans was uh, a black woman, my mom's best friend, who basically raised us after her death. She came and stayed at our house five days a week to help raise, because mom, before she went down, she stopped at Sarah's and told her she was going. And Sarah said she tried to tell my mom, no, you know, don't buy. Um, but she said she had to do it. And she asked, my, she asked Sarah that if anything should happen to her, that was that, uh, 50 years ago it, and it's still i feel you i feel you oh it does it uh you would think it gets better but really doesn't um sometimes the pain is overwhelming you know like i said we never got any help and and um you know, I feel African-American, I feel black people's pain because I've experienced a lot of it. My sister's Mary, my, my sister Mary, who has done a lot of work too. And, and, you know, she said that her having a different last name because she was married when she was younger, she found out that if she, wanted people to know who she was she could but if she didn't she didn't have to and um you know i said well an african-american doesn't have that luxury i didn't have the luxury because my name is Luisa. um i i'm not going to change my name i've had numerous numerous death threats uh when i marched from selma to montgomery the the clan said they were going to kill me uh we went to a meeting way out in the boonies one night and they were out there waiting uh, threw a firebomb at our car, uh, but I never stopped and I never will stop. I mean, this is important. It's important to this country. I don't know that we can do it, but we darn well better not stop attempting to make sure that it happens so we can live in unity. Uh, I live in a, in a black community in Alabama. I live in Brighton, Alabama, which was a, a very, I mean, it's just, the black community, my neighbor tells stories of the Klan driving through the neighborhood in, you know, in the 60s, beating on a truck saying, you know, all the things that they would say back then. Um, but I love the people around here. I don't. Uh, I feel <sighs> like, you know, I, I was watching in the documentary um, people holding up signs, stop the black riots, 
<laughs> and, it, and the gaslighting, like, and I'm seeing it now with the CRT discussion and, uh, you know, uh, white men are under attack and, uh, and all, it's like uh, woke people who are, you know, it's like the, the, the gaslighting language doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. What advice do you give to people who are listening right now um, in terms of how we fix, try to fix some of this? Because I don't understand what they're afraid of. Do you, do you understand what they're afraid of? Why, why they're so afraid that they have to kill a woman with five children or kill, beat people in the head, run them over with horses, hose them down, deny them of rights. What are they afraid of will happen if people vote freely in America? I think they're afraid of losing power. I think it's all power hungry, all power struggle. I don't think it really has that much to do with race, except they're afraid that if African-Americans get in power, they're afraid of that. They don't want them to have it. We had a black Uh, president for eight years. Nobody got enslaved. Matter of fact, Wall Street enjoyed the hell out of Barack Obama. They did really rich. People got really rich under Barack Obama, under a black president. What are they really afraid of? I, I have honestly, I don't have the answer to that. I know it's disgusting. It disgusts me. Um, and that's why I say, you know, I talk to people all the time, trying to get that answer from them, trying to find out what it is. You know, they just hate. They're they're instilled with hatred from the time they're born. Really, they're indoctrinated, um, and it's been that way for decades, centuries. You know, that's the way they were brought up. And, and so it just solidifies in their minds. And then, then they tell them things like, look, they're trying to take your this away. They're trying to get your job. They're trying to do. Now, wait a minute. What? They're trying to work, have a life, make a living. Don't you think they're allowed to do that? I think so. I think they have a right to do that. And I don't think anybody has a right to tell them no. Or to tell them, you know, I know I felt it they would find out who I was, I'd get fired. They would ask me if I was related to Viola Uzo. I'd say, yes, oh, we just filled the position, we're sorry. And I knew that was a lie, um, you know, but. Your mother, the, the, the claims against her, and um, again, the, the loss, I feel the mourning, not just for her life, but for her life's work, still being defiled to this day. Like there's, you would hope, that such such a tragedy would change the hearts and minds of people the way her sitting there and Michael Schwerner and, and Mickey, excuse me, Goodman and Schwerner looking at bloody Sunday and saying enough, we're going to get involved. You would think that would be enough to turn this country into a place that it would never happen again, but it keeps happening. You know, Ahmaud Arbery running through Georgia loses his life and it, and we can keep going as I'm, as I'm, Thinking about that with you, Michael, I just, excuse me, Anthony, how, how do we, are, are you at, at least bit optimistic at all? Are you optimistic at all? Well, it's a tough one. Sometimes not. Um, but then I have a wonderful wife who, who really boosts me up all the time and, and helps me stay up. So I am optimistic that we can make change. Uh, we can't stop being optimistic. We have to make change somehow, or we're not going to survive as a race, as a, as a people. As Whether people, white, as a human as a race. People. Yes, that's yes. right. As a people, 
so uh, we've got to somehow, Karen, somehow keep making the little strides because the little strides will add up to bigger strides. You say they when you talk about um, the folk that identify with this kind of um, demonic hatred. You, you say they, not not us. And I love that, first of all, because it tells me everything about how you see yourself. Um, how do we get more people to look at that behavior as not them? Well, we have to keep posting, putting write, writing letters, uh, uh, posting articles on, on Twitter, on Facebook, anything we can do to bring some people's awareness to some people. I mean... I have friends who I went to school with who are, who are not, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it. sad to see. Let me just say that. It's sad to see. It's, it's a disease, I think. I think, yes. you know, it is. It's a disease, a, a terrible disease. And hatred, you know, my mother used to tell us, don't hate because hate only hurts the hater. And that's so true. And they may not see it now, but it will. It'll it'll get them. And uh, we have to get that message across. You know, gosh, you give somebody a chance. I, I, just give them a chance to see that they're they're a human being. They they have feelings. They they bleed. They they love. They hurt. You know, that's not all out of this world to figure that out. But they don't want to. They've closed their minds. They've let the disease take them over. And I don't know if we will ever win them back, but sometimes it happens. It's happened in the past. And, and I feel that it can happen again, but we just have to keep hammering this home, hammer it home. I'm going to take a call or two, uh, 866-801-8255. Anthony Liuzzo is here, son of Viola Liuzzo, who uh, lost her life fighting for the rights of black folk uh, in Selma, Home of the Brave is on Amazon Prime. I rented it. Uh, and in it, Sandor Vanacore, who is a news correspondent with NBC and other outlets, he said it was difficult to understand the atmosphere. He covered Vietnam and he covered the civil rights movement. He said it's difficult to understand the atmosphere of fear that reigned throughout the South when the civil rights movement was in full flower. He said, I reported in the South and I reported in Vietnam and I was twice as scared covering the South as I was covering Vietnam. He was twice as scared being in the South than in a war zone in Vietnam. That's frightening in itself. That statement. Um, um, looking to say, I, I got to meet Sandra Van Oker and, and what a wonderful man he was. I mean, he was a, a great reporter. And for him to say that people ought to really, really heed what he's saying there because we're going back to it. We're here again. I mean, people are being killed uh, for no reason. Why? Because, oh, they're black. Uh, excuse me. We've got to stop it somehow, some way. But I, I don't have the answer, but I'm sure going to keep trying to find that answer. Yes. I'm going to keep, you know, keep pushing forward. I'm, I'm holding your hand. We're doing it together. And I think as I think about your mom, I think of Heather Heyer, another woman that came out to fight folk with tiki torches, talking about the same thing the Klan was talking about. Yeah. And she lost her life as well. Uh, let's go to Maurice in Georgia. Welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. You're on with Anthony Liuzzo. Hey, Karen. Thank hey. you so much for what you do. Uh, I'm a retired. I'm retired. And I just want to let you know, I make sure 
in my budget that I set enough money aside to re- renew my subscription every year because of what you have done with Channel 126. Uh, Anthony, I just want to say to you, sir, I, I love you and your family for the tragedy that, you know, that y'all had to go through. And your mother is one of my heroes. And I made sure there's not an election that go by that I do not go vote. I have voted ever since. I was 18 years old, and I refused not to vote because of people like your mother that what I call foot soldiers for justice. I refuse to let what they have done go by. So I just want to say thank you so much, sir, and I, I love you. Well, thank you, Maurice. I mean, you, you don't know when I hear people like you talk. It just does my heart so good because it shows me that, that for real, mom made a difference, that uh, – you know, her death wasn't in vain. It'll never be in vain. Thank you so much. Tell us something really, really nice about Mama Liuzo. Well, she loved Christmas. I mean, with a passion, not for the gifts, but for celebrating the, the birth of Jesus Christ. And, and she taught us that, that for the baby, um, she loved children. She would... Uh, she had two miscarriages. She had a stillbirth and, and uh, uh, my younger brother who lived four hours. And she just, she loved life. I mean, she wanted to help and, and do whatever she could. She would take us rock hunting. She would just go, we'd, we'd go off on adventures with her. And, and uh, she talked to us constantly about right and wrong, about knowing that there is nothing to be afraid of with, with black people or Asian people or people who are different, that we're all the same, that it's okay to be different. She taught us that. And, uh, and she taught us a lot about love and how love can overcome things. You know, and it's not just a warm and fuzzy love. She, she lived that way. Now, that's the way she lived. Well, her name is inscribed on the Civil Rights Memorial in Montgomery, Alabama, and uh, her name is etched in the annals of history. They will never, ever defile that as long as you keep doing what you're doing, sir, and we keep doing what we're doing, sir, and we do it together. Um, I'm honored that you came on today, and like our brother Maurice, I love you immensely. And um, Back to you, and and I am honored to be on your show. Thank you so much, You can come by anytime, anytime you just want to drop in and tell us anything that you need to tell us, Anthony, you have an open seat here. Um, and I thank you, uh, for carrying the, the torch and the baton that your mother, um, didn't get to run that leg of a race herself. So thank you again. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to the Karen Hunter show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.